active hope is not wanting to be rescued by the lone ranger or by some savior. Active hope is not wishful thinking. Active hope is not waiting to be rescued by the lone ranger or by some savior. Active hope is not wishful thinking. Active hope is not wanting to be rescued by the lone ranger or by some savior. Active hope is not wishful thinking. Active hope is not waiting to be rescued by the lone ranger or by some savior. Active hope, hope is waking up to the beauty of life on whose behalf we can, we can act. act. We belong, we belong to, this to this world. world. The, the web, web of life is calling us forth at this time. We've come a long way and are here to play our part. With active, With hope, active we hope, that we realize that there are adventures in store. Strengths to, to discover and comrades to link arms with. And comrades to link arms with. Comrades to link arms with. Active hope is a readiness to engage. Active hope is a readiness to discover the strengths. Active hope in is a readiness to engage and in others. Active hope is a readiness to discover the strengths in ourselves and in others. A readiness to discover the reasons for hope and the occasions for love. A readiness to discover, to discover the size, the size and, strength of our and strength of our, our hearts, of mind, our quickness of mind, purpose, our steadiness our own authority, of purpose, our love for life, our own authority, the liveliness our of our curiosity, our own authority, our love for life, the liveliness the of, of our curiosity, the unsuspected deep, the unsuspected well, of deep well of patience and diligence, the keenness, the keenness of, our of our senses and our capacity, and our capacity to lead. To lead. None of these can be discovered in an armchair or without wrist. None of these can be discovered, can be discovered in, an armchair in an armchair or without risk. Or without risk. In a world where the people have no voice. <laughs> Fake news runs wild. And social, social, social media dictates our lives. And we're here to keep it real at Media Lab. Just a group of students looking for the truth. Hashtag what story are you telling? Hashtag go tell it. NPR Media Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another NEPR Media Lab podcast. We open up this podcast with a piece by Joanna Macy from her book entitled Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. And that was read by a number of our students from our Springfield cohort. On this episode, I'm excited to bring you pieces from Devin Moreno, who will be talking about his love of Call of Duty. We'll hear a piece from Diamond Jimenez, who produced a piece on glasses. And lastly, Wesley Days, who did a wonderful piece in tribute to his grandmother. So thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple iTunes, NEPR Media Lab Podcast. You can also check us out on Facebook, hashtag what story are you telling as you tell your own? Check, check, one, 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 two, two, two. Welcome to New England Public Radio. Media Lab Pod- Podcast. All warfare is based on deception. Call of Duty has been enfranchised since 2003 and has grown since then with the new Call of Duty series every year selling over 175 million copies. I love playing Call of Duty. It's a shooter game. The objective of the game is to get the most kills to advance to the top of the leaderboards, to be noticed, to be feared.
The nostalgia of going away and coming back to the game to feel the real atmosphere of looking down the barrel of the gun to play the role of a soldier. People who don't play this game usually just associate this game with violence. It's the total opposite for me. I connect to this game because it allows me to relax and most importantly, I am able to connect to people from across the world online. I interviewed some people about what their thoughts was about Call of Duty. Here's Nathaniel. Well, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of brain activity to point your reticle at something and make it die, so, I mean, I never thought it was good to begin with. But the game needs to be considered through a different lens. For the most part, the game does seem to be just a simple shooter game, although, the game challenges your timing, multitasking, and strategic ability to advance, and the most importantly, survive. Ira Fay, who teaches game and graphic design at Hampshire College, understands why Activision, the maker of the series, has increased the cost of the full game. I think it's really hard to make a super fun video game that everyone loves. And I think that if you had succeeded in making a video game that many people love, like maybe the original Call of Duty or various iterations of it, then it makes total sense to me that as the game sticks around for a while or as business models change, like with microtransactions, that some players might not be satisfied by that. My NEPR classmate Wesley doesn't see the value of the game in general. When you're shooting someone, even though it might be fake or it might be 2D, it still doesn't matter. You're shooting someone. You're taking a life. And even though it's a game, it's still not okay. You're teaching young kids how to shoot, how to do it from an aerial view. Am I wrong? From Wesley's perspective, it does sound violent and aggressive, especially if a person does not have much knowledge of the game. But if you think about competition in itself, that alone can become a very violent situation. Violence can be considered in even the most subtlest of ways. For instance, language, imagery, and even color patterns can provoke a violent reaction. But what I am referring to is the importance of strategy and the ability to think of what it takes to survive. This is what I found most enjoyable about the game. This is what makes it fun. Here come Media Lab Takeover. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Commentary is a personal story told within the time frame of two to five minutes. Typically, commentaries are about personal subjects. Now, back to our show. I wear glasses. Any person who wears glasses can tell you how difficult it is to function on the fateful day when you forget to wear your glasses to work or to school. It's painful to spend your entire day squinting, surrounded by people who plague you with the phrase, just look harder. They don't understand the strain it puts on your eyes when you're trying to read a font that's too small, or a board at the front of the room when you're sitting in the back. It's not like you can suddenly repair the nerve damage in your eyes that prevents you from seeing clearly just by leaning forward or pulling things closer. One day, when I was in summer school, I forgot to wear my glasses. We were taking notes, and even though I was already at the front of the room, I still couldn't make out the words on the board. I tried to copy the notes from my friend, but her handwriting was awful. Finally, the teacher decided to let me pull my chair even closer to the front of the room. He said I could move as close as I needed, which was great. It was something I needed to do. I wasn't embarrassed until I heard laughter. How could people be laughing at me? I was just trying to see. I didn't realize how close I had moved. 
Everyone thought I was exaggerating my problem. A girl even yelled at me for being in her way. But I didn't move. I needed to make a statement that my glasses weren't just for show. Not having them that day really meant I was missing a tool for my everyday success. Like a firefighter without his water hose or a police officer missing his badge. Glasses are a necessity, not an accessory. They're a tool to see, just as a pencil is to writing or a fork is to eating. They aren't something that someone wears for fun or to look pretty. New England Public Radio's Media Lab student, Wesley Days, couldn't help think of his own grandmother, Eula Johnson, when he came across this quotation from Olympic track star Gail Devers. Keep your dreams alive. Understand to achieve anything requires faith and belief in yourself. Vision, hard work, determination, and dedication. Remember, all things are possible for those who believe. The hard work part especially resonated with Wesley. He interviewed his grandmother about how hard work helped her while growing up as an African-American woman in racist America. She lived in the segregated South and had the blessing of witnessing the first African-American president, Barack Obama. Her optimism and humbleness comes from her faith. Came from simple beginnings, living on a farm in the 1950s, where she and her siblings made their own fun. We didn't have the things that the modern things that you guys have nowadays. We we could make our own little toys and what have you to play with because our parents couldn't afford the things that you guys are getting at this stage uh, at this stage in time. So, but we we appreciated what we had and. We was happy all the time. We had plenty of food to eat, and my mother made sure that we was dressed well and went to school, and we just enjoyed each other, cousins and aunts. Eula didn't always have nice things. However, she lived in Mississippi during Jim Crow era. Buses, schools, restaurants, and even bathrooms were segregated. Well, they had racial problems. I mean, they had signs and for black, then signs up for white. There was real prejudice in South at that time when I was growing up. You went into a place like a ice cream factory, you know, where they serve an ice cream. They would have just a little rope across there, and on one side they would have white only, and on this side they would say black only. And just like restaurants, I mean, uh, bathrooms the same way at that time. But there has been a great, great change since when I was growing up. It wasn't just Jim Crow laws that affected African Americans, but also the racist atmosphere present in American culture. Well, sometime when we would be walking to school where the kids, the white kids was riding the buses, they sometimes they would stick their head out the window and spit on us. Yep, and that's, uh, that was terrible, but that's all right. And what did you do when they spit on you? Well, what could you do? But just because it was in the bus, you just wipe it off and keep going. And then sometimes there would be or a few kids that's driving cars, and, you know, it was a road. It wasn't no walkway. They would cut out at you, so you had to jump off, you know, in the ditch or something like that. Otherwise, they would hit you, you know. Just racial problem. Yeah. Did your parents give you any advice when you lived at home? Like what? racial kind of advice? Yeah, well, yes, there were some really nice ones. Now, we had some nice uh, neighbors lived up the street from us, 
and they was very nice. I mean, you know, the kids would come and play with us and what have you. But there were some, you know, they just look at you as if you was a piece of dirt or something like that. But that's okay. We just smile at them and say hi. It's been 60 years since Eula moved from the segregated South to Springfield, Massachusetts. Could have happened, but it happened. But between that and God, he's going to take care of the situation. In spite of what man do, he's in control over all of us. So he's going to work it out for us. I'm Wesley Days for NEPR's Media Lab. Public Radio's Media Lab is made possible through the generous contributions from the Berkshire Bank Foundation, Incorporated, the Community Foundation of Western Massachusetts, the Irene E. and George A. Davis Foundation, Tom and Kit Dennis, Thomas and Marilyn Ewig, the Kitteridge Foundation, Mass Humanities, TD Bank and TD Charitable Foundation, the United Bank Foundation, the Rotary Club, and two anonymous donors. To find more of our work, please visit us at nepr.net. Check us out on nepr.net, or you can hit us up on Facebook at nepr underscore media lab. And don't forget to hashtag, what story are you telling as you tell your own? Peace. Peace.